Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. When I first met Casey Graham, the CEO and founder of Gravy and Command AF, in early 2020, I had no idea what an incredibly amazing human being Casey was and how impressed I was going to be. Then we met up recently for the Revenue Engine podcast, and again, I was just floored. Casey and I had the most hard-hitting, authentic, thought-provoking, and inspirational discussion during our episode. Not to mention, we had a lot of fun. Casey and I talked about his journey, how Gravy and how Command AF were born, but more importantly, we talked about so much more, including his 40 lessons in 40 years. Specifically, we unpacked number 17, your identity is tied to what gives you anxiety. And we also unpacked lesson number 36, bigger vision calls for lighter packing. So please take a listen to this episode of The Revenue Engine, where Casey shares lessons learned, practical advice, and a fresh new perspective on being a leader and being successful in business and in life. So super excited to be here today with Casey Graham, the CEO and founder at Gravy. Gravy takes a human approach coupled with technology to revenue recovery and customer experience. Casey is also the co-founder of Commander AF. So welcome, Casey, and thank you so much for joining me. I am more than fired up to be here, and <laughs> I wish I wish our pre-conversation would be the intro, too. Because <laughs> we've, we've had a blast already. I know, exactly. <laughs> so we first met last year, early 2020. Uh, we jumped on yep. a call where you asked me some questions about revenue operations. We talked a little bit about the role of the CRO. And literally, it feels like a lifetime ago. You know, 20, <laughs> right? Doesn't it? I feel like we've known each other for like at least five years. So, you know, and I think 2020 probably felt like a total lifetime yeah. for a lot of us, right? Because just so much has happened, yeah. um, especially in your world. So I definitely want to dive into that. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's first, so let's first talk a little bit about the journey that led you to starting Gravy, right? Many mm. companies are born from the challenge of solving a problem. So can you share a little bit maybe about um, about your story? You know, tell us how Gravy got started. You know, what was sort of your original vision for the company? I'd love to tell some amazing story to you of that I had some epiphany and, you know, that it was some some genius story. But but really, it was a story that was birthed out of misery, if I have to be completely honest. <laughs> and it, it, I mean, I'm being honest. And, and, and where it was birthed out of is that my previous company, uh, was called the Rocket Company, and we were a subscription company. And uh, a private equity firm came to buy us. And w- when they made their offer, um, I don't know if, if you ever saw. A lot of people have never been through the process of selling a company, and so the way it works is you, they send you an offer, and it's it that is a pointless piece of paper. <laughs> it's called a letter of intent, and they say our intent is X millions of dollars just to get you into due diligence 
to, to strip you down butt naked and tell you how ugly you are. That's, that's, that's essentially what it is. So, so, um, the, you know, they, we went through this due diligence process and inside of the process, they literally took their offer that was really high and it went really low within like 10 minutes of our first conversation after they looked at our churn metrics and our churn numbers. And so I was sitting there going, well, we're growing year over year. We're Inc. 5,000, Inc. 500, you know, all this kind of stuff. Look at our growth, look at our growth. And this, the people who were going to buy the business were like, yeah, but, but, but on month seven, these people fall out and on month 12, why is this, that this product, the turnover is this. And all they cared about was customer retention and customer success and long-term customer value because they're buying that. And it was the first time I woke up and went, well, if the people that are wanting to buy the business care about people staying and paying a long period of time, why wouldn't I care about that as the owner? Like, why, why would I only care about revenue growth if at the same time I'm fighting this revenue retention battle? So we spent the next two years fixing revenue retention in that business. And then we ended up exiting that business because we fixed revenue retention five, for a five, five X, the initial offer that they gave us. Wow. Wow. So Casey, why do you care about retention? Well, because I received life changing money <laughs> and exited a company for five X what originally there, because we fixed this one problem called revenue retention. And so the idea was, was not something that I just came up with. It was actually what we used to solve the problem at my previous company. And um, that's where the idea of gravy came from. And, and then we did it for two years. And then after I sold the company, it wasn't an instant, like come out and go, Oh, we're going to do this. Yeah. I tried 13 different ideas oh, before, wow. before we did gravy and we came back around to it and it was the 14th month. And, uh, and, and we just said, gosh, I wonder if, I wonder if people are, are, are taking care of their customers and doing this. And I wonder how they're doing it. And we learned that in the market, the only thing people were doing to keep their customers was throwing technology at it. While I love mm-hmm. technology, technology doesn't care. Technology can't negotiate with you. Technology can't, um, that it can't give a crap about the human being on the other side of the transaction. And so that was the whole idea and the premise of where the, the thing came, where we said behind every payment is a person. And mm-hmm. if behind every payment is a person, how would we want to be treated if we were behind that payment? And that was the genesis of gravy of why we take a human approach, um, you know, coupled with technology to allow us to return payments back to companies. Got it. Got it. Wow. It's really, it's super interesting always when I talk to anybody who's, you know, the founders about how they came to the idea, how did they land in that opportunity? How did they actually drive the business? Yeah. And of course things change, right? After you actually launch the company, um, you know, early, early this year, you raised your series a round. So congratulations. Thank you. Big move. Um, so you talked a little bit about some of the things that you think you've done right, obviously focusing on the on the human aspect of it, right. not just throwing technology at it. What are some of the things, I guess, that you're, you know, that you think you've also done right that have really helped you kind of drive the company and drive revenue to this point of Series A? And then maybe what are some of the things that you're thinking about doing with that round of funding? Yeah. Uh, some of the things we've done right are, I would love to take credit for them, but I, <laughs> I really can't because uh, this is my fourth company to, to found. Um, I've started, grown, and sold three companies prior to this. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not proud of any of them. <laughs> oh, why is so, that? Well, I'm, prou- 
I, I got the money, but I didn't get the fulfillment. Um, so I got the business done, but I didn't get the, the, the culture done and the, and the relationships done and all that stuff. And so after I sold my last company during that 14 months, what the, the, the part of the story of, of, of why this gravy is a kind of a Phoenix out of the ashes is that my life completely fell apart and I got a life changing money, but, um, I didn't like myself. My wife didn't like me. Um, you know, suicidal thoughts, depression, 14 months of every week, heavy counseling, friendship, you know, all this kind of stuff, because I had this pile of money and I wasn't happy. And people were coming to me going, you should be the happiest man. And it's like, I'm not, what's it's something was broken and wrong inside of me. And so after that 14 months, um, I don't take credit for creating the culture of gravy. I take credit for going through the process of trying to find and care about health, uh, mm-hmm. trying to care about me being a human first mm-hmm. and trying to care about that. What happens if you accomplish a lot, but you don't become a lot. And so as we started gravy, we said, Hey, we're going to create a company that we're going to go accomplish a lot. But if mm-hmm. we, if I and we don't become a lot in the process, then we failed. And so the thing that we've done and the thing that people see is the overflow in LinkedIn is people think that we have this LinkedIn strategy or, or that you must do really. Here's what we do is we go, I want you to leave better than you came in. And we're going to put as many things in, in, in place as possible for you to do that. We're not going to be scared of your dreams. We're not going to be scared of your side hustles. We're not going to be scared if we're a stepping stone for your next career move. We're going to have open hands and realize that as a human, we don't own you, um, that you, we are here to serve you and we want to help you. Now, do we screw this up sometimes? Sure. Like, are we a business? Yes. But over the last four years, if you say, what did we get right? We got we got the people side right. Um, mm-hmm. Now, there's people that I fired that, 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 that they, they would say they hate me and we got it wrong. Well, that's just called business and life and you have to deal with both. But if I had to look back and say what we got in right is, I'd say the culture piece is, is probably a big piece. That's is amazing. that helpful? I, I, I want to be helpful. But, but, but culture drives revenue. Right. So, so people don't ever talk about that. So I call it return on culture. Um, mm-hmm. Return on culture is something that people don't measure, uh, but it's something that we do. So we have a culture slice of our budget that we, 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 we slice out. And this year we'll spend, you know, over about $1.4 million in developing our people. And, and what I found is the return on culture is, is that you can't, the guy that took the phone call last night at 8 PM at his house, he didn't do that just for, he did that because like he, he loves being here and he wants to be a part and like he cares about what he does for a living. It wasn't because he's going to get this huge kicker on selling the thing that's return on culture. Um, that, that he gets told, thank you for that. Return on culture is, people that do the extra mile that after they sell the contract, they stay with the person and check in three months later because they're genuinely good human beings. That's return on culture. Return on culture is instead of just blasting DMS out to everybody is that when somebody responds, you take time to send a personal response and get on a call and, and, and treat people like human beings. And so I think that side of driving revenue while um, a lot of people go, okay, well, how many calls did they make and how many, you know, this, that, and the other, is that the, the, the return on culture over time becomes a snowball effect and that revenue is attracted to good people are attracted to good people. And that is a revenue driver for our business. And so uh, that may sound ethereal, but it works. 
That's amazing. I love that. I've never heard anybody use. I was actually writing that down. Return on culture and actually yeah. slicing out a budget. I love that. Now that that actually paints a great picture for me in terms of what I see on the outside, right? Obviously, I know you, but I see sort of on the outside the social presence and what's happening there. And you know, you talked a little bit about obviously everybody on LinkedIn and doing yeah. that, but more of a development of the people versus necessarily just promotion of gravy. Well, because it's the overflow of their life. Now mm -hmm. we show them, but it's, so here's my pitch for LinkedIn. All right. Who here in high school, this is what I say to people when they come in, who here <laughs> in high school, their junior year said, you know what? I'm going to go to career day and I want to work for a payment recovery company. No hands go up. Nobody <laughs> wants to do this. Like nobody, this isn't anybody's dream. Like we, so who here, would like to grow as a leader and make more money and have more influence and build your character. Like who would want to do that? Everybody's hands go and go, okay. Gravy is a leadership development company disguised in the payment space. We only produce revenue so that we can have relationships to build leaders. If that's the case, when you build leaders, guess what's going to happen? You're not going to have enough room for all those leaders and they're going to get taken away and they're going to get recruited and they're going to go. And so what we have people do early on is figure out what your last day of gravy, if you had to choose and you were going to go to your next thing, because I'm leaving, you're leaving and I'm leaving. <laughs> How do we help you get there? What experiences, what education, what connections, what things allow you to get there? And then I go, well, I'm just going to tell you what I know is that every, everything in my life that has been upgraded has been because I knew somebody. Hmm. LinkedIn is the best place to know people. This is where I do this. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, but if I were you and you have the dream to be the VP of sales in three years, you need to get your butt there and do this <laughs> and talk about it. If you talk about gravy, great. If you don't, great. But this, that's, it's the best thing for you. And so that's why so many of them do it is because they know they have a bigger dream for their life and we help them discover that. That's amazing. I love that. And you can definitely see and feel that, right, with the, the people at, on your team. And when they do present themselves, when they talk, when they present thought leadership, when they talk about, you know, leadership or whatever they're passionate about, then you can, you can definitely feel that on LinkedIn. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit. And I want to talk about this command AF. Yeah. So what is this all about? And how did this idea and mission come about? I think this would probably be a good segue from what you were just talking about. Yeah. Um, so did you know, do you know how the microwave was invented? I have no idea, so, <laughs> but I love it. And I would die if I didn't have it. <laughs> the, <laughs> me too. I had popcorn last night. Uh, so the microwave was an accident that when they were building a spaceship, they were thinking, how do you cook stuff in space? And they, they figured out, they built a microwave and they went, oh my God, so we're building this thing for, for space and the, and, and the shuttle and all this kind of stuff. And it's like the microwave came out of it. Well, Command AF is the microwave that came out of gravy. It's like, we're doing all this stuff and we're going, this is how LinkedIn works. And this is where, you know, I'm teaching all this stuff. And we go, hey, wait a minute. This is this could be used out here. And so that's all Command AF is. It's that we learned the principles of how LinkedIn works. We learned the different ways to post. We learned the different ways to connect with people, the way that you and I connected of like how you do stuff on LinkedIn. And we were teaching that internally. And then I had so many people that were sending me DMs going, hey, will you talk to my CEO about this? Hey, will you come speak to our team about this? And so I did about five or six of them. 
And then I built the training and I was like, and I was showing up and doing this stuff for free just because I like doing it and like helping people. And then finally I was like, people will buy this and this is valuable. And, you know, I should just package this into a, a course. And so Command AF is a sim- the simple, it, it literally is the step-by-step, everything you need to know, every type of post you need to write, um, exactly what you need to do every day, dumbed down, cookies on the bottom shelf, how to uh, use LinkedIn to get what you want out of life is essentially what it is. And so we have a simple course. You can go to command.af and figure it out. If you don't know what AF means, you can go to Urban Dictionary and find that out. <laughs> I was very careful to say command AF. <laughs> <laughs> am I, am I going to get your uh, podcast? Uh, it's going to have the explicit the thing on it now. explicit man. <laughs> All right. But that's what it is. Yep. And so if you want to go buy it, buy it, give it to your company, do the thing, like whatever you want to do with it. But like um, it, instead of trying to figure out how to do this thing, um, we just give you the shortcut. And that's what it is. Got it. Have to definitely check it out. I will definitely check that out. Um, okay. So let's talk. Uh, I have so many things I want to ask you and so many things I want to talk about. So it's going to seem like I'm bouncing everywhere, but they're all tied together. Okay. So I'll be short. I'll I- be brief. Yeah. No, we have plenty of time and I want to hear everything. I could literally, like I was saying earlier, I could talk to you all day. Um, so do you remember sharing your 40 lessons in 40 years? I, I do. You do? So there were a couple yeah. of lessons that I were super interesting to me and I want to unpack them a bit. So there was number 36, which was bigger vision calls for lighter packing. So mm-hmm. what is that about? What does that mean to you? So... If you want to accomplish, like, so here's the practical side of it. You can't, you can't climb Mount Everest with a bunch of crap on your back. Right. The higher you go, the less you pack. Here's, here's what this means in business. The higher you go, the more you have to let go of stuff. The more you have to forgive people. The more you have to forgive yourself the more you have to uh, not uh, to, to, to let go of the fear that you that is burdening you and carrying you down all the time. You can't carry it up the mountain if you're going to have a big vision is that if you have a big vision is that you've got to stay completely focused on that vision and wake up every day and understand that the way the world works is that it's going to come and put in, in the way you work mm-hmm. is fear. And it's in and, and everything that you do in your life and it accumulates all of the regrets and all of the past and all of the things that you should have done and all of the, the people that don't like you and all the hires that you made and then their fires. And now you see them in the, the mall and it's weird. <laughs> and you no, I'm saying all of, the, all of that yeah. stuff. If you're, it doesn't mean that you forget it. It just means that you can't carry all that stuff every day in your mind and your heart and your life and, and, and go up the mountain. And the same is true in your relationships. It's mm-hmm. true. If you have a big vision for your relationships, you can't carry a lot of stuff around. You got to let it go. You got to learn how to, you got to learn how to trust. You got to learn how to forgive. You got to learn how to love. And in, cause I see so many people, you got to let go of the anger. You got to let go of the frustration. You've got to let go of those things because you can't carry those and accomplish big things. And so the people that you see that are able to, to elevate and get to the is that they have an ability. It's not that you, check it off and say, I'm a numb person, but you mm-hmm. transform, you trans, this is what I always say is that, is that pain baptized in purpose produces perseverance. 
mm-hmm. pain, baptized in the purpose of something bigger produces the perseverance that allows you to be able to accomplish big things in your life. And so many people, but here's, here's the flip of that pain void of a pain void of, uh, of purpose equals pain. Mm. And so it's just pain and people don't, you, what happens is you, 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 you put a lid on how high you can go in life, how, how good your relationships can be, your level of your income, your level of your influence when you live in pain, because what happens is, is the more pain you have, the more it will spill into others and you can't get far alone. The other thing is you can't, you can't climb big mountains alone. You can't accomplish yeah. big things. And so people running around with all this pain, I'm saying, listen, if you have pain, I've had pain. That's okay. But it's not mm-hmm. okay to stay there. And I see so many people in a perpetual state of talking about how miserable they are all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I've been there, but it's not okay to stay there. And so right. we've got to we've got to move on. And the way you get out of it is you've got to find your purpose of why you exist and why you do what you do. And that's what that means for me. Does that make sense? Oh, I love it. I love it. Totally makes sense. Um, How about number 17? This one says your identity is tied to what gives you anxiety. And I think you touched a little bit on this already, but Mm -hmm. what does that one mean to you? Well, this one was personal to me because anytime the the cells were up, I was happy. Mm. Anytime the cells were down, I was scared and miserable and you know, and I live this something outside of my, me as a human mm-hmm. is doing this up and down thing. And, and and if my emotions and my soul was a stock market, it was on the same roller coaster ride as that, that thing. And so what I learned is that when that thing went away after we sold that business and mm-hmm. I sat two weeks later and said, why do I exist it was because my purpose in life, I didn't have one. Mm. And so many people run around, they think they do. You don't have one. You're just busy running. Is it like when that went away, the prop of my identity went away. My identity was Casey is a CEO that's a successful businessman. Mm-hmm. Okay? That goes away and I'm sitting by myself and I learned never again can I tie my soul my emotions, my heart, my future, my purpose to a business, to a person, to a thing. And while those things, it's not that you become cold, it's that mm-hmm. you look at things and you've and, and the, the healthier you are, the more you can objectively look at things and separate them and then and then make decisions on your emotions. Instead of just living emotionally, you can live and look at things objectively and go, that's what that is. I'm going to put that over there. That's not who I am. I am not gravy. I am not command AF. I'm not a husband. I'm not a dad. That's not who I am. Who who am I when I have none of that stuff? And that's mm-hmm. what I had to find my purpose. And, and 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 I know this this may sound so super like out there for people, but like what matters more than this? I mean, yeah. like, listen, you're gonna die. I'm going to die. No, we're, we're all going to like, that's, that's yeah. so, so let's just quit th- not thinking about it. Let's go to the end 
And let's say, who do we want to be in that moment? And what is our life going to be about? And then that's what drives me now on a daily basis versus hmm. if gravy's up or gravy's up. Gravy could go away tomorrow and I would be sad. I would hate it for the people, but it's not going to ruin my existence. And I'm right. not tied to it anymore. And so that's what I mean by that. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. I feel that like you're just staring sense. at me going like, Casey, we need to talk about some revenue. And you're no, talking about- this is what I wanted. This is what I want to talk about, right? Before we, we started recording, I said, you know, I want to talk about revenue, what drives you, but I want to feature sort of the inspirational side. And you do so much more than just gravy, right? So yeah. much more than driving revenue. I mean, you do that, obviously, in your day-to-day business, I but you're so revenue. much more than that. Of course, we all do. That's why we're in this business. <laughs> but I love the other parts of you more than that. So right. that's really what I want to talk about. So, okay, one more. You had a bonus. You said never trust a fart ever. Uh, what? <laughs> what is that about? <laughs> you can't ever, listen. You so, so you can't ever trust a fart. You know, like it's so. So, so what happens is, it, what happens is, is, you'll be you'll be sitting out in the lobby and nobody's came by for an hour, and you're like, oh, I'll just I'll let it go. And as soon as you do, somebody comes. Your coworker walks up. You can't ever trust it. So so never trust that. Uh, never, never think you can get away with it. And, uh, that, that's, that's what it's about is that you always have to protect yourself when you're going to fart. Okay. <laughs> All right. I had to include that one. I love that one. All right. Moving on. <laughs> oh, so there was one number 24, which is going to lead me to my next question. So number 24 was physical stress, your body, yeah. oh, phys- physically stress your body or the world will. Oh, look at my head. Ow, what is that from? Okay, so we don't have video on, but Casey is showing me his hands and he has the most calloused fingers here. Were you, what were you doing? I just got oh, back. Is that from this? Okay, so no, let's no, This is just for my oh. workout today. Um, oh my goodness. And every day my mantra going into a workout is, look, here's the bottom line. With the amount of inputs we have, um, social TV, radio, yeah. podcast, all of it. Mm-hmm. Then how we feel about ourselves, just the stress and the things and the things that of life. And then the relational stress, because I mean, if we have any relationships, there's always going to be stress. Mm-hmm. And we have all of this stuff happening is that the world is going to stress your body. Like literally, it's going to stress your body. It's gonna it's gonna affect your sleep. It's gonna allow you to cope in in ways that are unhealthy. Um, you're going to um, you're going to feel this external thing, and you're gonna wonder why do I do this stuff, and why do I overeat, and why do I drink too much, and why am I you know staying up so late, and why do I work all the time? Like what? Yeah. Why am I constantly like all of these things? Is that what I found is that. You're the only one that can outstress your body in a way to where the world doesn't have to have to stress it. And so I call it every day at noon, I flush the toilet. We talked about farts. Now we're talking about toilets. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I believe I flush the toilet. I and mean, here's what I mean by that. Every day I go work out and I do not work out to physically look some way or have something. I literally work out to flush the toilet of my brain, to flush the toilet of my emotions and to have a restart every single day. And so what I mean by that is I stress my body and I put my body in, 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 in um, very stressful situations 
of crazy stuff I've done and like different races or different things or events or challenges or whatever, because in those stressful, there's, I can't think about anything else. Like that's, it's not like I'm sitting there and go, I wonder what my PL and this, that, you know, all this kind of, it's like, no, 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 I stress myself so heavily in that way that it removes all of the stress. And so the thing about it is, is the same with motivation is that, you know, same with mental health, you know, same with all this stuff is that, um, all of this happens daily, not in a day. And so mm-hmm. that's what I mean is my question for you is what, how do you stress your body more than the, than the world stresses you? And the more stressful of a job you have, the more you should be stressing your own body because it's what allows you to release and hang on to it. And it doesn't have to be the way I do it, um, but it needs to be a way. And I disagree with people thinking, oh, I just walk or I just kind of just enjoy nature and all this kind of stuff. Like, I think you literally need to create the response in your body that is the fight or flight response. Mm-hmm. And that getting yourself into an aerobic situation where you create that fight or flight response and you do it over a short period of time, it releases. First of all, it's really good for you. But second of all, that's the when you work out, that's your body experiencing the fear response. Did you know mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. That's what it is. So make yourself be stressed out and crazy so that uh-huh. you don't have to live the rest of your life stressed out and crazy. So that's it. Hmm. So so that leads me into my next question, which so do you think I'm crazy? I feel like I, I'm looking at you and you're like, you're crazy. No, I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm just like I'm like literally mental noting a lot of this because a lot of this really speaks to me, but this one. I definitely will never do, but I want to, I want to hear as, as you're talking about this physical stress, mental stress and stress in your body. So tell me about the Navy SEALs experience that you had. Like, what was it about and why did you do it? And what exactly happened and how did you survive? Um, (laughs) Well, first of all, um, I, I did the, the play version of any Navy SEAL thing and any Navy SEAL is, 10,000 million or any military person have done yeah. it. I, but, but, but I've always, people ask me about regrets in my life and, and I have some regrets when I look back. One of my largest regrets is that I didn't go into the military. Um, mm-hmm. And it just is a regret. It is. It's like, I, I, I have something in mind. It's like, I wonder if, or I wonder if I could have, or, or should mm-hmm. have. And, you know, it's not like I sit around and think about it every day, but like, it's one of those things. And so because of that, I have a great, um, appreciation uh, for all military. So Gravy is a military hiring company because we've always been remote. And so one of my best friends is a colonel in the Marines and his wife mm-hmm. is one, one of our best friends. And so we've got a, we've got a whole slew of people in our business that we hire. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm really into that. So like if, if it literally, if I'm by myself at my house for one hour, I'm watching a war documentary or yeah. something. And so I'm that, that was the, the, the premise, but then I always wondered, I wonder if I could, survived Navy SEAL hell week. And uh, so I just Googled, you know, so civilian Navy SEAL hell week. And there's, there was one and uh, it was by uh, Mark Devine, who's a Navy SEAL commander or was. And essentially what it's, what it is, is it's where people go that are going to go be Navy SEALs uh-huh. and prep them for their experience into going to hell week. And they have like a 95% completion rate that if you do this program and you go train with them, then you'll, you will become a Navy SEAL. Okay. So, so that's the, that's the, but, but it's for civilians. So then they opened it up for civilians. And so I just went and did the, uh, I went and did it. And so it's, it's a Kokoro camp. 
is the whole weekend. And then there's different six hour, there's a 12 hour, there's a 20 hour, there's all these different, um, different things that you do. And uh, it was, they put you through the Navy SEAL hell week stuff. And it's awful. Um, (laughs) No, it's awful. Yeah. It's it's it um, fifty ice baths before lunch. Oh. So just diving. It was thirty nine degrees. Oh my 50, goodness! So we're up in Temecula, California. Thirty nine degrees in the mountains, breezy. Uh, Six a.m. Um, they don't show up in the parking lot for till like six forty five. And so we're all just standing around freezing and like what we didn't realize is they were watching the, and, and essentially they were seeing what was a lot of mental stuff of like, where are they? Where are they? Cause we're ready to go at 6am and they show up and, and they basically say, you, we're not a team. Like, and they, they basically showed us that we just went and sat in our cars and wanted to be warm instead of getting to know each other and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the, 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 the whole journey of the thing of, you know, all of the misery and the, the, the physical side of it is that they, they, they basically get past your physical state, basically meaning if you can do 500 pushups, they're going to make you do 600. Mm-hmm. If you can do a hundred pushups, they're going to make you do 150. It doesn't matter what your physical, they're going to break through your physical barriers to where you can't do it. Mm-hmm. And what they're going to do is that they're going to get into your mental game. And then your, your mental platform is what they call it. And so there's four keys that they walk through with us of how to, how to live in your mental platform. And that's how you succeed as a Navy SEAL is not, they, everybody thinks Navy SEALs are people who run fast and are strong and can shoot good. The way Navy mm-hmm. SEALs win is with their mind and with their spirit. And so they teach you, the biggest thing that they taught us was breathing. I never, I've never they spent 50% of their time teaching us breathing techniques to get through the hardest times. And so have you ever heard of box breathing? Mm-mm. So in through your nose, four seconds, hold four, let out four. All right. So you would do that. You, did you already feel it? Mm-hmm. So you, you, so, so they literally, they take you through and, all of the hardest things that you're doing and they're saying box breathe. Then from box breathing, they're taking your mind and they're putting it into micro goals. Meaning everybody is like, I, we, I want to complete the whole thing. And they teach you literally to take out all of your brain of anything. Mm. But when I say micro, literally your brain, they train you to think one step, one breath. Can I take that next step? But that's all you think about, because if you ever think, oh, my God, I have so much time left, you're out because you're just yeah. you're kind of pitting yourself against this thing. So so micro goes and then feeding the courage. They call it the courage wolf versus the fear wolf and meaning positive mental self. Anytime you feel the doubt, what is the, what is the mantras that you put into your head to help you get to that next step? And so basically they broke down the mental side of how you get through extremely crazy things. And, that, and the crazy part of it was is that. um they get you to understand why did you show up to do this anyway? I paid to do this. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's stupid. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I came in. So, so I, no, I came in wondering, can I make it? Like, do right. I have what it takes? When I got there and I saw 
young men with tridents on their shirt, meaning that they're going to be training to be in the Navy SEALs, my mental shift was mm. he's got to make it. My, the reason I am doing this is that he's got to make it. And I will do everything in my power for him to make it. And I, I will not be the reason that he doesn't make it. And when you shift yeah. the platform into that he's got to make it, then all of the physical and all of the hard things and all of it transforms into such a way where uh, you can always take one more breath, one more step. And it's a, it's a, they, they basically meld you into understanding that the point of this whole thing is that we finish together, not that you finish together. And they take you from individual and they teach you why it's called seal teams. It's not called seal yeah. individuals. It's called seal teams. And so that, that was the gist of it. There was crazy stuff we did, carrying people up mountains on stretchers oh for goodness. three hours. And, you know, this no-handed burpees. You ever done one of those? I've seen people. There's no way I will ever be able to do one of those. So just stupid <laughs> stuff. But, 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 for, but for the listeners, the thing I learned, I thought like, oh, I'm pretty good at team. I learned I was a horrendous teammate. Oh. I was a horrendous. I'm a horrendous. I I literally learned how much you don't realize how much how selfish you are until you're put into an environment to where all of your selfishness is punished immediately and there's no HR mm -hmm. violations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's amazing and that's that was that was a part of the journey and and, and what I did. So that's oh. it. Gosh, that is amazing. Thank you for sharing that, Casey. I definitely, I wanted to dig into that and wasn't sure how much we could, but I, I love that. I think you'll, we'll probably get a lot of listeners Googling and trying to learn more about it's it. It's still fit. Yeah, though I'm sure, I, I'm I'm guessing most people will not sign up to do it, but it'd be interesting to but read you need about to go it. Listen, go listen to Mark Devine's Still Fit podcast, and it really helps you with uh, the mental side of like just resilience. And I think what everybody here listening would want to be more resilient person. Yep. And so I would go listen to that. And he talks a lot about that really good podcast. That's amazing. Thank you. Great. So let's talk about, let's at least do one very specific revenue question. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I think everything else that you've talked about is way more valuable, um, extremely yeah. valuable. But I think, you know, when we talk about revenue, I guess maybe what are the top three things that you think that revenue leaders should be thinking about today to grow their business? Um, number one is I think they should be thinking about churn. Mm -hmm. Here's what I mean by that. I, as a CEO, have, we do asset allocation based upon not what's coming in just in the front door, mm -hmm. but what's going out the back door. Meaning revenue leaders can go, oh, well, our SDR program, it's a three to one and, you know, it's worth all this kind of stuff. But if I go look at the churn metrics and off of the SDR program that, that we have a 5% month over month churn rate, yeah. yeah, it might be bringing and make you feel good on the front end. And I see so many people addicted to the front end that, that that's good, but, 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 but that's not good revenue. And so most people would shake their head and nod and go, yeah, 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 we should do it, but nobody mm -hmm. does. Yeah. And so when I say churn, People, go, they, they don't do churn analysis right. Like, and, and this isn't about gravy or what we do. I'm talking about we do this, at, at, meaning you've got to look at customer cohorts mm -hmm. of each month 
and then go look at those customer cohorts and the churn that comes out of them. And then not just look at the numbers, but look at the qualitative metrics that come out of that meaning. Yes, this many people turned out and this many people fell out. My question is how many of the revenue leaders listening to this have actually picked up the phone and actually called one of those churned customers? The answer mm -hmm. is probably less than 5%. Mm -hmm. Pick up, so that's number two, pick up the phone and call and ask people why they didn't stay. Yeah. Like have actual real conversations with people that are leaving your business. People leaving have way more information even than the people that are staying. And so right. I would focus on that. And then that what that does is it helps you on the front end of the business. The third thing I would say, taking that information, talking to those people, then do asset allocation based on less go-to-market strategies than more based mm -hmm. upon this is better revenue. We may grow slower, but it, we make instead of 80, instead of 100% growth, we're at 80% growth. But our retention, revenue retention went from 82% to 96%. Well, mm -hmm. that's a way better business. And I see so many uh, revenue leaders that don't think nor care. And they will give me, uh, they'll give the nod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they don't actually Nothing, go do it. They'll do anything about it. And so that's exactly what I would do. Like if you say, Casey, Go to this business. You're the revenue guy now. I don't go to the front. I go to the back end of the business because mm -hmm. there's more to learn there. And then you come back to the front and then you apply it and then you tie these two things together. And I would be an absolute animal on churn. We do what's called churn autopsies. Uh -huh. So we, we literally do the autopsies of the customer, how they came in, which reps sold them, what the account was like, what questions did they like the whole every note that we have, all this kind of stuff. And then read these autopsies as deaths at our leadership table. But yeah. what can we learn from these things? And it's a big deal. That is, that's such good advice. And I totally agree with you. I think we talk a lot about keeping our customers happy, building, you know, reducing churn, increasing retention rates. But what are we actually practically and tactically doing, right, with that information? And are we even getting that the right information? Yeah. Yeah. And the number one way to reduce churn is not customer success. Yeah. It's not customer experience. What is the number one? The number one way is to look at all of the people that are leaving and have get better customers and filters on the front end of your business. The front end is the gatekeeper of churn. And everybody thinks it's like sending thank you notes. We do this stuff. Send thank you notes. All, all this kind of stuff. That's not why people stay. So you, it, it helps with experience, but the way to reduce churn is, to, is, 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 is applying back-end quantitative and qualitative data to the front-end and then limiting the amount of money that you spend on things that have high churn rates on the back of the business. Yeah, get the right customers in. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you, Casey. So, okay, so thank you so much, first of all, for joining me. But before we wrap up, before I let you go, there's always like, two things that I ask and some of this you've probably already uncovered. So it's okay if you're, it's, it's one of the things you've already talked about, but one, yeah. what is the one thing about Casey Graham that others would be surprised to learn? And they may have been surprised by some of the things you've already talked about, but you're pretty, you're a pretty open book and you wear your heart on your sleeves. So I, I, this might, might be a little bit tough. And then two, what is the one thing that you, you want everyone to know about you? Um, Surprise. I don't know if this would be a surprise or not. I think I'm pretty decent to work with. I'm extremely hard to work for. Really? 
That Makes does sense? surprise me. Yep. So I'm like, comp- like the closer you are to me, the harder I am to work with. Okay. So that's something that people wouldn't know. And it's like, oh, I want to work, Casey, I want to work with you. And it's like, I don't know. Like, you know, and, and <laughs> it's, it, it, it's because my level of energy and spot and all this kind of stuff, it's just all, all and so there's very few people that get it. And that's why Renee's been with me for 20 years, my co-founder. And uh-huh. uh, it's like, I keep her and every Monday I come in and every Monday I say to Renee, I say, Renee, are you leaving this week? <laughs> I do. I say, what do I have to do this week so you don't leave? Because um, you know that that's just a reality. Again, it's not like being mean or crazy. Yeah, none of that stuff. It's just like I, um, I don't know. It's just I, that's something. That's something I would say. But work for with meaning, you know, in the company and teams and all this kind of stuff. They don't get that that crazy Tigger type emotion and all this kind of stuff. On a, on a daily basis, they get it in spurts. And it's actually been more helpful being virtual because I have to make a decision to turn on to do that versus being around an office. I'll just be all over the place interrupting people <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And so virtual is helpful. So that's number one. And then you said, what do I want to be known for? Mm-hmm. Is that, that's what you said? Yeah. What do you want everyone to know about you? Uh, know about me. Um, or is that the same I, thing? No. I am a very flawed human being and I struggle just like everybody else. And I mentally have to fight to stay positive. I mentally have to fight to stay in the game. Um, I mentally have to uh, and emotionally struggle with ups and downs and all arounds. And I'm a messy, messy, messy person. And, um, I, but the acceptance of that is that, um, it's why I journal, it's why I process and it's mm-hmm. why I found, I, I know that I've already written my obituary. So you need to put that in the notes. So I've got a, my obituary is already written and, um, of, 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 of what I want to be the, the obituary that go in the newspaper or wherever it goes. And, you know, whenever I die, I uh, already done. And, that is my guiding force. And so I would like to attach that for your, uh, your listeners to be able to read or, or see. And, and, and you'll go, oh, well, that's the 500 words of what Casey would say that he won't said at his funeral. It's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Casey, for yeah. joining me. I don't know if we should end on that note. <laughs> Why? We <laughs> Wait, let's end. Let's end on a happy note. Do you want to sing a song together? <laughs> that will not be happy for anybody. People, if that were to happen, I, I'm pretty sure everyone would tune out at that point. <laughs> but thank you so much for joining me, Casey. I obviously I adore you. I love speaking with you, and this has been an amazing conversation. There's so much, so much learnings in in here. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna listen to it over and over again, and I'm definitely going to uh, take a lot of what you've said to heart. So thank you well, so thank much you. for joining me. So appreciative. Yeah. And thanks for bringing up farts. That's a happy note. Too. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good I day. I did my research. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye.